Hello, I'm Eddie Pepitone, and you're listening to NewDissidentRadio.com, which means you've been had, idiot. Well, welcome. This is Kelly Carlin, and you are listening to Waking from the American Dream. Sentimental baggage claims that you can't leave behind. Every case is different, but some things will never change. All your excess carry-on keeps weighing down your plane. And you better let go. was Better Let Go by my guest that'll be on here in a few minutes, Mr. Paul Myers. Uh, but, but before I bring him on, I'm just checking my levels here. I'm in the studio all by myself today, and I'm a little bit of a spaz around this stuff. So apologies if it uh, doesn't sound right yet. I'm uh, <clears throat> just trying to get used to it. Oh, and welcome, everyone. Uh, like I said, this is Waking from the American Dream. This is Kelly Carlin. And uh <clears throat> I had a really amazing day yesterday. I got to go up to Kevin Smith's house and be on his morning podcast that he does with his wife, Jen Schwalbach, 
called Plus One Per Diem. And uh, it was uh, just amazing just to hang out with them. They're wonderful, loving, perfectly normal people, <laughs> like so unaffected by it all. And I got to hang out and talk about my show, A Carlin Home Companion. I got to talk about this podcast. I got to tell lots of family stories. Uh, I made Kevin cry at least three times, maybe five times. <laughs> like at one point, he just completely lost it. It was so sweet because, you know, it's funny because Kevin can be this really kind of raunchy uh, guy, you know, and he's yet heart of gold and really just so smart and so sweet. And so I just wanted to thank, put, give a shout out to to Kevin and Jen for letting me come out and doing this. It was uh, absolutely incredible to be on your show. Loved it so much, really. Uh, and can't wait to to do more with you guys. Who knows? Who knows what will happen in the future with all of that? Um, I'm unmuting my guest here so he can listen to what's going on now because I'm about to introduce him. Wait, is there anything else I need to talk about? Oh, the reason I played Paul's song, uh, Better Let Go, is because... <clears throat> Last night, I run a page on Facebook. It's called the Official George Carlin Fan Page. And it used to be a page, and then it got turned into a group, you know, of all that happened on Facebook. So I have this group that I run, and I moderate it, and I really am very active in it and stuff. And just, you know, sometimes people post things, and they don't post it in the right context. And um, it was just someone's opinion about Libya and what's really going on and the U.S. government and NATO's role and all of that. And it just kind of came across as this very... Uh, kind of pedantic take on it all and there was really no room for discussion kind of a feeling and and I really I, I really try to encourage conversation on the page uh, and so people jumped on it right away which they do <clears throat> because everyone's got a big opinion if they're a George Carlin fan and I ended up getting in a little dust up with one of the people and uh, so th even at one thirty in the morning I was still <laughs> I, I was I was um, commenting and then erasing and commenting and erasing because I was like realizing I'm tired and I'm all stirred up and I'm triggered now and do I really want this to be on there? And and then, of course, I woke up in the morning and it was the first thing that jumped in my head. And I'm like, God, you know, I really fucking need to let this shit go. So uh, when Paul sent me some music to play today and I saw the song Better Let Go, I'm like, oh, perfect for the beginning of the show. So anyway, I'm going to introduce my fabulous guest here. Uh, so I met Paul Myers on Twitter. I know this has become a real trend with me. I'm <laughs> I'm officially a social media whore. Uh, someday I'll be on a panel somewhere talking about it, how I met everyone I know on the planet through social media. But I met Paul on Twitter. I can't even remember how we connected, but I think we were making each other laugh or commenting about something. And that's what we normally do on uh, Twitter together. We make each other laugh. We play those fucking addictive hashtag games, which, you know, I apologize if you follow me and I'm in the middle of one of those things and I'm on a roll. It is all you will get from me. And I'm guessing it's pretty obnoxious. Uh, but Paul Myers is uh, Berkeley-based now, but he's Toronto-born. From he's, he's a Canadian. I probably did the wrong accent. Uh, he's a writer, a fabulous, amazing writer. He's a musician, obviously, because we just listened to a song. And he's a broadcaster. He's done some stuff on television. So he's the author of the critically acclaimed uh, music biography, which has just been out like in the last six months, called A Wizard, A True Star, Todd Rundgren in the Studio, which is a, a really interesting compilation. Not a compilation, but interesting 
view on looking at all that Todd has done as a producer as well as a musician, but really like all the people he affected and produced and 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 shaped uh, through through his whole career. Which when I saw the list of people, I was like, wow, I had no idea because I'm I'm not a music nerd. We'll talk about that. Um, he also wrote a book called It Ain't Easy. Uh, Long John Baldry and the Birth of the British Blues, which, uh, you know, I know nothing. I love the blues and I love that kind of stuff, but I, I'm just learning about it right now. Um, and then he wrote a an authorized Bare Naked Ladies uh, book called Public Stunts, Private Stories. But Paul's written for tons of different periodicals and magazines, Crawdaddy, Spin, and San Francisco Chronicle, all that kind of stuff. He's been on VH1's Behind the Music. He was a judge slash host on a Canadian music reality series called Pop Stars, The One, which I've got to hear about that. And he's been nominated for a Gemini Award. How cool is that? That's the Canadian Emmy uh, for writing a Bravo BBC documentary about uh, Long John Baldry, which is very cool. So, And he's also done sketch fest stuff up in San Francisco, hosting and moderating events with David Byrne and Kids in the Hall, which we'll talk about. He's friends with Dave Foley, and we'll talk a little bit about comedy in, in Canada. So um, I just, I, I've decided, Paul, you are a Renaissance man, so I'm welcoming you as the Renaissance man. Wow, that's really awesome. Doesn't my career sound really impressive on paper? It's amazing. You really are a Renaissance man. It's very diverse, and you've got, obviously, uh, you know, your fingers in lots of different things, and you're very creative. I prefer to be a Renaissance fair. You know, so <laughs> I, I, that's why I'm wearing these, these uh, adorable garters right now. Are you eating a chicken leg, too, right now? Or I'm turkey eating, leg? Uh, actually, mutton. I am eating mutton and drinking flagons of mead. <laughs> Yeah. No, uh, that is a really, really awesome way to be welcomed in. It's like, uh, you know, it sort of beats the Alcoholics Anonymous one where you just say your name. Uh, but, uh, you know, but anyway, I just want to say, uh, yeah, uh, that whole social networking, meeting people, I met you uh, just reacting to something you'd said or somebody had, like, linked something you said. And I'm sure many of us in Twitter Anonymous have the same story of how we got, how we got drawn into meeting all these people. And uh, next thing you know, you were like reacting. And I think when people react, there's kind of a weird outreach thing there. It's, it's yes. Actually, the 12-step thing might be an apropos analogy in that you recognize, you know, in others. A like, you kindred know, spirit, of, yes. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so, yeah, and then, yeah, you're awesome. And I just, yeah, and then you came out to see my show in, uh, well, I, I came to see your show you came in, to, at, in Marin. Yeah, at, at the Throckmorton Theater when I did Mind the Gap. Which is awesome because that was like a threefer because I met you and I met Lorraine Newman and I met Dylan Brody, who's an awesome dude as well, that night. So it was kind of neat. Uh, and then you came to see my thing in, at Largo, which was really great. Which was and, so uh, cool, that thing at Largo you did. Uh, Paul came down to L.A. Uh, because you were you were launching your book, if I recall. That's right. We were launching it. You were yeah. launching the book. And uh, so what you did was you had a, another friend of yours who also has done some writing and was a musician. And he came up and he did some songs and some readings. And then Scott you, Miller, yeah. Scott yeah. Miller from the group uh, Loud Family. He yeah. Was, yeah, he was amazing. And then you came up great. and you did basically a Todd Rundgren cover concert. And um, the first person who came out was Amy Mann. And I was yeah, like, oh. Holy shit! That's Amy Mann. Yeah, it's kind of a funny, sh- kind of a funny show to produce because I, I actually put it together myself and really, you know, I had some help from like Scott Miller's people and from from Largo. They, you know, were so good about giving giving me the space. And but then it became like you know the old story Stone, Stone Soup, like where there's no there's no soup in the town. It's a children's story, and and everybody brings something from the from the neighborhood and they put it into the pot and make a, a big soup for everybody and. 
and it's it's a really great story. And it's a, it's basically you know it's a story of community organizing. So it's probably banned in Texas. But um, <laughs> um, but the, the the thing about this whole Largo concert was so John Bryan's an old friend, and he's an awesome musician. He uh, he you know lives upstairs, so yes. he just said, "Oh, yeah, I'll come down and play a Todd Todd Rundgren song." And which was Scott Miller, yeah. uh, you know, had we'd done this show in in San Francisco once before, so it was great that he came all the way down to do it again. And he and actually he's more responsible for bringing Amy in because I I was um, I would have reached out to her, but he already had called her. So, oh, perfect! So he, he came he came on his invitation, and I was just another awestruck person in the audience. Uh, but the little <laughs> things like Lyle Workman came out for that, the awesome soundtrack guy, and he's he's uh, interviewed in the Todd book, so he came out and did a song. But he brought with him the section, the L.A.-based string quartet, who are like such yes. an amazing string quartet. That was and, spectacular. And, yeah. yeah. And Mike Viola, who also came out for that. You well, know. And then, of course, Taylor Locke and the Ruff and the guys from Rooney really helped bring that pit band together because they, they organized a whole bunch of subgroups within themselves for that evening. And right. then Dave Foley, my friend Dave Foley, who just he just started doing stand-up recently. And uh, and I said, well, as long as you're doing stand-up by yourself, you want to come and be the MC. <laughs> you know? And so I have to tell the audience, so Dave comes out. And uh, who he just makes me smile and laugh just looking at him. And he comes out with a guitar and he does this thing about um, tuning the guitar. And um, it's completely improvised what he's doing. And he he basically breaks all the strings on this thing. And it I was literally almost peeing in my pants. He his immaculate comedic timing uh, just watching him, it was uh, literally, I was like, wow, we are in the presence of such a skilled master of comedy. It's just in his every cell of his body. He doesn't have to mm-hmm. think about it. He just follows every urge, and that urge happens to be completely hysterical. Uh, I, well, I, I don't want to blow the fact that that, like, it certainly was in the moment every time he does it, but it's a g- gag he'd done before. He may have even done it on the Kids in the Hall show. But he used to do it years ago. We go back to Toronto, back yes. to the Rivoli Theater, which is actually a nightclub. And um, the kids in the hall used to do their, their thing there before they were on TV. And I was one of the people that go, would go see them every Tuesday. And that's how we all became friends. It's a longer story than that, actually. But he came out with that acoustic guitar, and he would tune it until it snapped. But here's the, here's the part I want to tell you. I think he qualifies as uh, – I would like to be a Gentile mensch myself, right. and I'm hoping to be one. And Dave is a Gentile mensch, oh. and I'll tell you why. Because I asked him to come out and do this, and at the last minute, I phoned him during the day, and I said, hey, can you bring the acoustic guitar? Do you think you could come and do the And break your break strings? <laughs> and, and, and he didn't get back to me because he was busy or something like that, so I was whatever. So it was like a beautiful Christmas movie. Oh. Like he shows up with, the, with this ovation acoustic guitar oh. and says, I brought the guitar. I'm like, oh, my God, he came. He came through. It's like... So, like, the guy was just awesome. And, uh, I, you know, I, I will always love Dave Foley for that. Oh, it, he, well, and, and it doesn't make the comedy any less for me, that, that even if oh, he'd no. done it a hundred times. Because you because it is so in the moment, obviously. And, and, and he there, brought the Todd thing to it, too, which is great. Like, yes. adapted is, you know, that's what they call a trunk piece. But a good trunk piece, you can bring it out. Right. For any you know. for anything. Absolutely. And, and, and understanding the importance of tension in comedy. Because as he's tightening the string the tension <laughs> is literally happening in the string and in your body because any second now you know it's gonna go and he just he plays this just kind of dumbfounded innocent thing oh it's just so fucking brilliant yeah i know it's beautiful it's beautiful but, but anyway so then we got to know each other more and uh, i've been following your your waking from the american dream it's so great and i've been cheering on your your uh your one woman show the carlin home companion here I am plugging your stuff i know this is so nice and and also following <laughs> and wishing i had show time to listen to the green room 
uh, or oh, watch the green room. God, my life sounds absolutely decent at this point. It's a trick I learned from Kelly Carlin. Is if you read someone's accomplishments back to them, <laughs> it's an old Kelly Carlin trick. Your self-esteem goes up ten points on the scale. There you go. Yeah, okay. okay. Well, I guess the audience is getting tired of this uh, mutual admiration, so, ego gratification. But, but what so. I wanted to mention was, you know, as you were like talking about all these musicians that came out for this Todd Rundgren thing, you know, it's clear that you are a music nerd, and I say that in the most yeah. respectful way. Um, because, because, you know, uh, that's uh, I don't know who those people are. I mean, uh, and yet I'm also this is the thing I was thinking about this, um, that, you know, I love music and music has been a very important part of my life. But I've never been one of those people who knew the names of the band members. I just mm-hmm. I just didn't. You know, I kind of like had a crush on the lead guy. And then I, you know, I learned to sing the songs. And that was all that was important right. to me as a girl. Oh, and if it had a dance beat, of course, I shook my ass to it. But I'm always fascinated by people who do know the band members and do know all the great guitarists or the percussionists or whatever they're into. And I'm wondering, at like, what age did that start for you where you became, uh, you know, music became something that really was like guiding your life and your thinking? Well, uh, I think I can actually trace it to uh, – I used to get a Beatle album for Christmas and, and my birthday for because I – without giving away too many details of my long and long age, how old I am, basically, um, the Beatles were still a group when I was still – when I was a child. So uh, a very young child. So me too. I me too. We're, to we're almost the same age. Yeah. Yeah. I had a lot of catching up to do in terms of their back catalog, which is, like, fascinating for any of you kids today to think that, you know – so when, you know, we'd crank up the Victrola and get in the Model T and go buy the new album. But, uh, <laughs> so, but what anyway, was... so what my parents did, and this is, you read this on my, my blog sometimes, there's a story about, uh, about going down to this record store called Sam the Record Man. And, and it was like a huge, you know, five story. There's probably one like that in every city or was one like that in every city. Mm-hmm. And, you know, where they had a whole floor for jazz records and a whole store, a whole, a whole floor for like soundtracks. Yep. And the pop stuff was on the first floor because uh, teens don't like stairs. And they, uh, they, they, so one, one year my parents gave me Revolver by the Beatles. And I remember, um, wow. if I'm not mistaken, I've told this story so many times that I may have forgotten exactly the truth. But I, I believe I was reading, the Beatle albums never had liner notes. Right. So it never had like detailed credits. It was before the days when they would credit the tabla player. But then the Beatles did on this one record, I believe they credited on the song For No One. Uh, English horn or French horn was played by a guy named Alan Civil. And of course, as a Beatles fan, I was devouring every name on those records. I knew, <laughs> I knew who Jeff Emmerich was. I knew who Mark, George Martin was, and I, I, you know, I knew all the details that you needed to know. Uh, and I memorized that there was a guy who played on that record named Alan Civil, and it just became kind of a template. And the other thing mm. that happened is my father, who comes up in a lot of my stories, my father was the kind of guy who loved music so much that he would tell me and my two brothers that we'd be watching like Mission Impossible or some show and they'd have a soundtrack and there'd be bongos playing and he'd say, some guy had to play those bongos. <laughs> and that is a huge, huge thing. That yes. is almost Marshall McLuhan to me, that revelation. Yeah. That's like a mind-blowing, oh my God, this music isn't just, not only are we aware now that there's music there, right? we're aware that human beings played it in those days they did. Yes. Um, and it was like a huge thing. So every time you hear a record, you think, wow, there's somebody playing strings on this record. Or, you know, and like I said, there used to be more actual strings being played on records. But, you know, um, <laughs> so, so it was kind of, it was kind of, it was just kind of a thing that got, that's where the liner note fetish came from. Uh, ironically, I'm doing liner notes now for a, uh, for a, uh, it hasn't been announced yet, but it's a, a British re-release of, of all the Todd Rundgren uh, albums. 
uh, coming out in Britain, like all the all the Bearsville records. So it, it's just I, I, I probably have said too much already, but they're going to announce it soon. I'm doing the liner notes for the entire line. And it's such a joy to be the guy writing liner notes after all these years. That's so, (laughs) well, and and, you know, I remember, yeah, being younger and we'd had vinyl albums and when you would get a new one and it was that whole exploration of all of the artwork, all of the liner stuff, you know, and just because you would, you would become friends with this album, you know, because you, you would play it a million times and, and you would, you know, it, it it became just part of your being, the, 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 the fonts and the, you know, whether it was typed out or was it written out and and it was such a free time too i mean i can't remember i don't know which album it is i I have my my dad's complete vinyl uh collection in my house the rock and roll and then i have a separate jazz one that i haven't even looked at yet um but there's one uh i think it's the animals or someone like that um and the back of it it's like it's for each guy in the band it's like their likes their dislikes their inspiration, their favorite ice cream flavor. <laughs> it was like yeah, 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 yeah. it was like the record company's idea of like, let's get to know the guys in the band. And it's so hokey. Yeah. It's like 1965. It's so One fantastic. of my Beatle records has that. I think it's an early Beatle record, and it may, it may have been the Canadian edition, but it had that they all liked egg and chips. <laughs> and like, that's so English, right? Like, John Lennon liked egg and chips and Dinah Washington. Like, like... Like presumably one is to eat and one is to listen to, and I hope he never got them confused. But but it's just or maybe it's he did. Fascinating thing. It was like I wanted egg and chips. To, I wanted my my parents to make like fried eggs with with French fries. Of course, like, and I w- and I would think chips, chips, potato chips. I wouldn't know what yeah, chips yeah, no, were. I, I should have. I should have. Uh, my parents are both from Liverpool, England, so we spoke English in the house. <laughs> you spoke the so Queen's I, English. I was bilingual. I spoke English and English. Yeah. <laughs> That so, actually makes a lot more sense than you'd think. Uh, <laughs> I know it does absolutely. Uh, so, so you were obviously into music at a young age, and then oh yeah. You, and when did you start? What instrument did you start with playing? Well, I, I, I the first instrument that I uh, I was the guitar from day one, uh-huh. and uh, and actually, you know, the long story. So, actually, I do some storytelling now, and one of the stories I tell is about how I ended up stealing both of my brother's guitars because my brother Peter bought a um, nylon string Granada. Uh, just happened to be the brand name. No, what actually didn't have a brand name, that one. The Granada was the electric guitar. The uh, nylon string uh, Spanish-style guitar, and uh, my brother had planned, to, Peter had planned to learn, and um, he, had, I guess he was going to learn. He now is playing, by the way, my brother Peter, so you'll be happy to get an update on that story. But uh, he, uh, <laughs> he never really did at the time, and then I just commandeered it, and then one day uh, a local kid, I think my brother started hiding it from me, and he put it underneath some pillows on a, on a couch, and some local kid who happened to be large, I'm not casting no. versions on large children, but uh, he happened to be, uh, oh, let's just say morbidly obese. Anyway, he sat on the, the couch, I think not knowing that the guitar was there, and it was reduced to kindling. Oh. And, uh, yeah, it, it crunched like Did a... Did it make it a kabong a, noise? It made kind of a, yeah, it made, <laughs> it made a snapping... A 1950s DJ would have wanted to sample it for, for a great sound effect. It was like, nam, <laughs> <laughs> and then crunch, you know, and uh, I think I can simulate it with this paper. <laughs> oh, like painful. There you go. Yeah, and then um, then my brother Mike uh, had, a, had, a, 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 had a job and managed to buy, like, an electric guitar and a very cheap amplifier. It was made by Granada. It was a semi-acoustic electric guitar. And that was like, okay, now I can make Beatles. Rock and roll. Yeah, and, of course, 
I stole that from him too. And then uh, that's when my mother said, you know, you can't really play that thing in the house unless you learn how to tune it and take lessons. (laughs) I will not be having noise being made here. Yeah, and actually I put it off. I put it off. And I I just want to tell you, this is, I tell this, I tell this in my seminar, but uh, there's a, I, I, um, I put it off until this one great humiliation. And this is a very, this is a very life lesson. I, I went on a school trip to, uh, we used to live near, fairly near Stratford, Ontario, where they have a huge Shakespeare festival. It's like the Just for, just for Laughs of, of Shakespeare. Yes. It's like, the, it's like the Stratford uh, Theater Festival. It's huge. It's well-known all over the map. And, you know, Sir, you know, Sir Lawrence Olivier, people like that would go through there as well. And it's, like I said, it's the Just for Laughs for Shakespeare. Um, and uh, we would go on a school trip and see a daytime matinee and then talk to the actors about, you know, you know, what it would be like to be an actor or, what, you know, what, you know what, what Shakespeare means to them. And, right. you know. and so we went to this town, and we, were, we had brought lunches, so we went to this park to eat lunch in the park, and there was a guitar store across the way. And I'd been kind of lying about the fact that I could play the guitar, because <laughs> I knew I could. I knew I could. It was like, the, it was like a, a sculpture inside a rock. I knew that uh-huh. if I just chiseled away that part, the parts that weren't a guitar player, there's a guitar player in me somewhere. I totally understand. But what I had bothered to do in is actually play form. it. <laughs> yeah. So then, so somebody must have suspected this because as kids do, he's, this kid said, hey, Myers, hey, Myers, why don't you go play the, the guitar solo? Why don't you go show us how you, you, you can play Zeppelin, right? And I, I said, well, yeah, but you don't want to bother them, you know? Like, they're, they're very strict, you know? And then eventually it was like, uh, remember the movie Dead Man Walking? Yes. It was like I literally got walked over to this guitar store to face my, you know, my executioners. And something awesome happened. The power of bluffing kicked in. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and I, I started playing what looked like, I'd sort of seen what a bar chord looks like. That's the rock and roll sound. But it's like a technically called a fifth chord. Right. And I started making this grunk, 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 grunk sound. And just in time, somebody said, you can't play in here. I, I was just so, I've never been more thankful for the man, you know, showing up. And, uh, you know, you can't play in here. Get out of here, kid. You and I kids. said, oh, come on, sir. I was about to show them my, my moves, you know. <laughs> anyway, so what happened was I went home, uh, it was like um, scared straight, you know. Like I, I literally went home to my mom and said, okay, okay, I give up. Lessons, lessons. So I took, and luckily school, school had ended that, around that time just after that and so I spent the entire summer woodshedding with a guitar teacher enough to learn how to play the basic shapes you know and basic chords and I was writing songs by by the fall oh how cool uh, you know they weren't great songs just to be fair yeah but, but I, and still. I joined a band around I joined a band around December that year see this so, is one of my fantasies I I'm I, t- I took piano lessons as a kid but I didn't really you know learn how to play piano I learned how to read music and play the perky poodle uh, but I too like I like to write a song. I so want to do that. I I just want a keyboard in my house so I can fiddle and write. This is a longing for me. I need to take care of mm-hmm. this. But what you could do it. I yeah. I mean you know. But wow, that's so cool that you know you were just like started writing music right away. I just love that. Ugh. Well, the key is that I didn't know how to actually write the music. I knew how to make up stuff. Well, that's, and I, yeah, but that's okay. You know, there's, there's I no... think that's, that's the key. It is yeah. the key. You think that the art is not attainable because you don't have... Right. And that's not to say you shouldn't, you know, really study things and, and learn the craft. And even Elvis Costello went back after having written 100,000 songs. Mm. He went back and took some conservatory lessons. But whether, the, whether he would have written the songs either way, I think, it, I think he would have written anything... I think you just have the desire. You yes. make stuff with what you have. The question is, do you want to get more skill? 
absolutely and and there is i mean i just thinking about writing you know it's like you anyone can write you just start writing but there's something that happens like you know you you have a clearly you know some some has a penchant for for language or for storytelling or whatever it is and then you do you learn the craft you learn the skill you learn that there's some some ways of using this and this and that but you don't want to clutter your head like there's that innocence that innocent creative impulse that is so important and uh and and so pure and beautiful and uh you know really i mean that's where the interesting shit comes from from people who don't know the rules but i will say that uh i i i I totally agree with you but the danger of that as a as as something i would profess is i don't want to say that you can't you can't keep your your ear on the inner child and still have the skills and right. I don't want to say that people with skills don't have that. Oh, but I also true. don't want to say, on the other hand, that by being naive and rough-hewn, you're necessarily great. This is true. Uh, <laughs> this, is, this is the trick. I mean, we've all seen somebody, uh, maybe let's say sticks in music, but you've all, you've all seen somebody at, like, at a set somewhere playing, and they are all about trying to stay amateur. You know, they, they, mm-hmm. don't, they don't want to look like they rehearsed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And i got to say, after a while, that is pretty boring. And the thing is, if you're Beck and you can be a slacker, by the way, Beck is not a slacker, but if you can appear to be a slacker like Beck right. and, and you can do that and still be a genius like Beck, then my hat's off to you. But the, the, the thing I would always tell like other people, and I, I guess I'm older now and I, I can actually tell people, <laughs> don't waste your time wasting your time. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I would say, I'd say you really, you know, if you have it in you to learn how to actually master something, you should probably do that. Well, uh, the question is, though, like I said, yeah, like, I just I just want to agree with you that it is absolutely important to keep that inner, we'll call it a child, cliche as it sounds. Yeah, you know, it, well, and it's that balance between imagination and discipline. I mean, it, it's just that dance that any artist has has to do. And and, you know, you see people who are who are great technicians, but have no soul. And then you see people who are just have, you know, pure kind of chaotic creative urge and and no discipline and they're both interesting in those extremes but um they get i get tired pretty quickly of them it's like yeah, yeah one's so cold and the other one's just it's too chaotic it's fascinating to watch for a few seconds but then it's like yeah but hone something in there person hone it in <laughs> somebody once explained to me that on this graph of there's like four quadrants and i i always get it wrong but one of them is Conscious incompetence yes. is where you start. I know okay. all about you know this. this one? I'm a life coach, so I know all about this. Okay, there you go. Then maybe it was you who explained it. But I, yeah, and conscious incompetence is so awesome because you, you, no one's going to critique you because you're just kind of like, you know, yeah, I know I don't know anything. And everybody starts that way because they don't want to get critiqued, right? You sort of say, you know, come out and see my, uh, my stand-up. I'm not very good yet. Right. You know, come out, come out and just be the guys who applaud for me, and that's great. But then at a certain point, you don't grow because... Your real friends aren't going to want to tell you that you suck. <laughs> and, and, and also... This, but and, but you hopefully know, you know someone will pull you aside and say, look, kid, you, you got some potential, but you need to do a little work on this. My danger is I'm always trying to be, I'm always trying to be the guy who, who, who can spot where you need to work on something. And like, I'm dangerous to play stuff for because I'll, I'll go, hey, that's really great. Hey, you know what? You repeat the chorus too many times. Yeah, and but... like I've had to learn to leave leave the uh, leave it to be invited. Like if somebody asks me for actual, yes. what am I doing wrong? And I'll say I don't know, I don't know. And then after a while, I'll say, okay, if you want my 
advice. Here's what I think you should do. But you can only, you don't have to do what I say. Yeah. But here's what I think. Well, and there's a way to approach people with stuff like that. You know, you can be really unconditional with them and say, you know, you know, I, you know, I love that you're here and that this is happening and that you've, you know, you've followed your urge and you're creating this. And, you know, and, and, you know, just coming from someone who's done this for a while, if, if you're interested in some constructive criticism, uh, I, I'm here, you know, I'm, I'm here, I'm here to give it to you. Um, the, 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 I just want to go back to that conscious incompetence thing. Um, it, it, because I just want to tell people what the whole arc is. So the begin with oh, is it's the it, first you're unconsciously in, uh, incompetent <laughs> that's right that's you don't right. you don't know you're bad at something and but you're just trying it and then you gain the consciousness of like oh i don't know what i'm doing and that can be an awkward stage for anyone because it's like sometimes that, that's where people give up because they see how far they have to go and they think oh i'll never be that master level i'll you know i'll never be elvis costello i'll never be george carlin i'll never whatever it is and so they compare themselves to the to the masters and and then sometimes they give up but if you know it's just a stage that conscious incompetence and that you know actually the more you do it your competence will increase so that then you become consciously competent and that's an interesting time too because then you're like oh i know what i'm doing and i'm watching myself and i'm learning this and this is great and i'm you know i can tell when i'm kind of missing the mark and when i'm not and all that kind of stuff and then what all the masters do which you were saying like about beck or any great actor too is they throw it all away so that they are yeah. unconsciously competent it's just in their genes it's in their cells it's in their being and they just know how to throw themselves off the cliff and all of the technique and all of the mastery and all of the years is just kind of inside of them, and it just oozes out. And that's, you know, that, that's when you're, you're literally, you know, in the presence of the masters. Yeah, and I guess also I, 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 I hope everyone got that because that, that's just an awesome thing, and that's free life coaching from Kelly Carlin there. That's pretty awesome. That'll cost but you I, real money that, in the real world, people, normally. Yeah, no, it's true. Like, and it, that, <laughs> that, the, the beauty is, you know, when you're, when you're starting out, sometimes you don't hear the advice you need because you don't know you need it yet. Uh, yeah, uh, the yeah. one thing I, I want to say, too, that I've learned in the last few years is to worry less. Um, oh, beautiful. It's kind of a weird thing, but I feel like I'm actually, for the first time in my life, kind of enjoying, enjoying even my own, like when I say I'm enjoying my flaws, I hope that doesn't sound like I, I'm flaunting them or think I'm so, hot, so awesome. What I'm saying is, I know where I need to work. I know where my weaknesses are, but I also know where my strengths are. And I'm willing to sort of just say, okay, I admit it. I didn't know that. Yeah. And, and it's the humility of that. And this maybe goes back to the guitar story. Being humiliated, you'd survive it. it I was afraid of humiliation for a great part of my life. Oh. You know, I, 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 I'm, not, I'm not afraid to mention that I was also an alcoholic. I mean, yeah. I gave up drinking in 97. And a, lo a lot of those kinds of revelations I think really make you, you have to sort of say, okay, you know what? I'm holding on too much and there's something I need to be doing to have more fun here, you know? Well, it's, you know, I, it, you know, go ahead. it's just the, the whole humiliation thing is such a beautiful point, Paul, because I spent most of my twenties in a bad marriage and also abusing substances and always putting my water, uh, my water, my, my toe in the water of being creative, but so afraid of humiliation, I would put my toe in the water and then I was, wasn't sure about the temperature and I would, and I would back away and that would take me another few years to even approach the water again. And it is so true. There's something about surviving humiliation, surviving failure, a seeing you do not die. 
Um, the walls do not come down all around you. People still love you because real love is about unconditional love, which has nothing to do with what you do, but it's just who you are. And it's such a it's such an important point for people starting off in any kind of endeavor um, that, you know, that fear of failure is going to keep you in a small space and you're going to regret that because, you know, I still kick myself and think, you know, God, if I just... If I just learned to be a little more courageous in my 20s, I'd be 10 years ahead of myself right now. You know, I wouldn't be well, 40, yeah. 48 because I feel like I'm just blooming. I'm such a late bloomer. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have a lot of gifts to give because of that. But but there mm-hmm. is a part of me that loves to beat myself up and say, you know, why the fuck did you waste your time being so so afraid? So I, I love that. I love that. that We're not that, so different, you and I. I feel, I feel like I hear, I hear a little bit of like you, you, you're kind of a cosmic sister. Because yes. I feel, I feel, I feel like the same feeling of like, wow, did I ever waste a bunch of time? Now I didn't really waste a lot of time. Right. I have a, I have a very, I have a, an awesome wife. I'm not going to brag about my relationship because that'll sound like that's the death of a good relationship is to get smug. And you're such a Canadian, but, uh, you won't brag. You won't brag. But anymore. I get a lot of support from my wife, who's an awesome person, mm-hmm. and I, I, that that's a relationship that I I've nurtured for. We've been together since '87. You know, so that's that's long enough that I think you know. Absolutely, it, it, that's beautiful. I think this one's a keeper. I believe it um, is. Yes, but uh, but like so, but, but you know, I always think if there's one piece of success that I have, the two pieces of success that I feel in my life are that I married well, and that I am that I did kick. Uh, well, I, you never kick alcohol, but that I recognized alcohol as, as a sickness for me. Yes, and I don't preach to anyone else. By the way, there's plenty of for my friends can handle whatever they do. And and I need and any substance actually. Yeah, and, and really, you, know? you only have to take care of your own house ultimately. Yeah, and 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 having done that, I have compassion towards people who are getting messed up, and if they yeah. really need outreach, I'm certainly there for them. Yeah, and um, you know, I hope I'm I hope I'm a good friend if if someone chooses me as their uh, their life buddy to uh, you know to be their their you know. Uh, you know, somebody actually recently asked me to be a sponsor, and I feel kind of remiss because they haven't called me back lately. <laughs> I feel, I'm not sure how that works. Oh, uh, you need to, to get on that. Uh. <laughs> Am I supposed to be checking in with them? Like, no, but I actually, I, I, I said, call me. You know, just call me. I'm here for you. And then, right and now, I, so if they're listening, my mom was a sponsor. My mom was in AA until she died. She got sober in '75, and then um, she died in '97. So she had 22 years sobriety. She was a sponsor. She, I was all involved in going. I never went to Al-Anon. But, well, I did eventually, but. Uh, but yeah, I mean that whole that I, that's great that you do that, you know, and it, and it's and and those two things. I mean, those are like real concrete things. Like no one can take a, a great marriage away from someone, or or the fact that you know how to love yourself enough to stay away from substances that make you crazy or make you sick or make you you know um, uh, dead basically. Well, and this is something we were talking about. Um, I think a couple of weeks ago we started having a back and forth on Twitter actually about. After Amy Winehouse died, mm. there's a lot of people who will speculate, oh, another, you know, another uh, alcoholic or junkie died, or right. what is it, about 27, and all that stuff. And I actually think that I have some thoughts on that. I'm not quite sure if, if it's a philosophy, but I think that a lot of, you know, certainly a lot of, in art and in public, what's the word, the sort of public-oriented nature of pop art, yes. is, it's about creating personas. And maintaining personas. Yeah. And if you're if you're not built on a stable foundation, and you do have some kind of addictive uh, problem that's getting between you and the creative, yeah. you know, the river that flows underneath you. Absolutely. And having said that, I'm not sure exactly what killed Amy Winehouse because uh, well, I think there was a lot of rush to judgment about the actual nature of her specific death. Well, but, and. Uh, 
Go ahead. Well, I, and you know, and and you know, and you bring up a, an interesting point, which is something you know we you and I were going to get to, and we only have actually a few minutes to talk about it. But you know, we both have been in the world of showbiz in a way where we have someone in our family who is really, really famous. And, you know, yours yeah. is your brother and mine is my father. And that whole thing about being in the spotlight and and not only, you know, how people have to negotiate that change in their life, but then being a family member of someone who's in the spotlight and watching yeah. watching them negotiate it and watching yourself negotiate it. Um, you know, and, and to be clear, we're, we're not talking about in my brother's case, we're not talking about like a drug problem. No, no, no. He has no drug. No, <laughs> in case in case anyone reads pa- that into pa- that. Paul's brother that. is is Mike Myers. He does not have a drug problem at all. No, but I'm talking about the just just the whole idea of fame and, and and having to live under this. You know, especially when you become this darling of the culture. You know. Yeah. Uh, well, oh, okay. I want to throw it back at you too. I was going to say, does it? It, 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 I think me having my brother be famous and me understanding what it's like to be what I call inside the velvet rope or inside the tent. <laughs> nice, yes. I I think that I talk to you in a way that maybe you sense that you can trust me a little bit, maybe rightly, uh, because I mean you you know that I listen to uh, Occupation Fool, Toledo Window Box, and right. Class Clown like right. religiously. <laughs> I mean, I actually didn't have religion, so I think that's probably the closest <laughs> I had was the worship and memorization of George Carlin records. <laughs> now I can say that to you, but I don't know what guard goes up for you when you hear that. I, I mean, obviously you're very happy and proud of your father, and as I am happy and proud of my brother. And I, I've been there for my brother's success when he was making it, when he first like established himself, and we all cheered the first time he was on Saturday Night Live. <sighs> we all cheered. Yeah. Uh, when Austin Powers and Wayne's World became huge movies, and when you hear kids on the street saying "schwing," <laughs> like it is so awesome, right? It's it amazing. Is so awesome. like, it is. You must have people reciting the seven words you can't say on TV to you all the time, right? A- absolutely, yeah. And, and and it is great pride because it's like, wow, this person has made this dent in the culture. It's fascinating. No, it's pretty amazing. But then where where I'm going to ask you? We don't have to necessarily go there, but where does it get tiresome? Yeah, it's well, it's it's a good question. I mean, I think it gets tiresome. I think there's an energy behind a person. And there's there's kind of a and you you understand, there's kind of a lack of boundaries. And they think that they know you better than they do, because they have this kind of relationship with the person in their head already. And so then they become like, Oh, well, you're his daughter. So and there's this and it's it's, you know, and it wouldn't even have to do with fame or celebrity it's like any kind of person who doesn't have clear self boundaries or really know who they are and they're borrowing someone else's light uh to kind of shine theirs and it certainly happens with people who are related (laughs) to celebrities i mean I, i talk about it in my in my show that you know as a young child there was a moment where it was like oh i think i want to be on stage but being on stage is a lot of risk and I may risk humiliation. So it's kind of easier just to borrow my dad's shininess and, and just kind of bask in his glow and, and kind of get the hit off the buzz there instead of working on my own stuff or, or my own self. And, and, you know, and, and it is something that I think you have to check in with your own ego all the time. I, you know, I grew up in LA, which is also a whole nother layer because I grew up surrounded by people who were surrounded by this culture and so a part of you does buy into it and think, oh, maybe that is the way to get love all the time. Um, but I find it in general not tiresome. And I'm very proud of my dad. And and yet I have a lot of mixed feelings about, um, you know, having to be the kind of the person who's 
forwarding his legacy. And yet who else is going to do it for my father? Um, and yet I also feel like I am doing my work on the planet here because I am a storyteller. And part of my work is finding my voice in the shadow of his immense light. So, you know, I, I think yeah, I, have yeah. something, I have something to share about that. It's not that it doesn't look universal on the surface, but I think we all are in search for who we are. You know what's funny? I, I have totally identified in my life with, um, and quite accidentally, but I, um, in Canada there was a singer-songwriter named Ian Thomas who was fairly well-known in Canada, and his brother is Dave Thomas, not the one from Wendy's, but the one from Second City. Uh-huh. And, and, uh, and Mary Margaret O'Hara is a great singer that many people know in the indie world mm-hmm. who is the sister of Catherine O'Hara. <laughs> and I've known all these people. <laughs> and, like, and uh, you know, and you're always, I'm always meeting people who are the brothers or sisters of famous people. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and, and, but I used to have this stigma when I was a kid of, well, not when I was a kid, when I was starting out as my own musician. I, um, as a musician, I, I, I would be worried about, and no aspersion to Joey Travolta or Frank Stallone, but I was worried <laughs> about being, I was worried about being those guys because they were being used as punchlines. Oh, totally. They were being used as punchlines, right? Or yeah. to be, you know, you know the expression, the Letter Baldwin brothers? Yes. You've heard that expression, right? Yes, now, uh, How horrible is that it's, for one of the Baldwin brothers, horrible. right? Like, it's horrible. Yeah. So, so. You know, I was always looking for those those teams that work where where either one of the brothers or either one of the sisters were equally well respected in their field. Absolutely. And I wanted to find that in myself. So I went out with this band called the Gravelberries in 93, 92, 93, 94 were the years when we were really trying to promote that. And I went on a cross-country tour and I showed up at a radio station in Kelowna, B.C. called The Lizard. I don't know if it's still there. It's probably all news now. But, uh, (laughs) um, uh, and I showed up in there, and we're driving into Kelowna, B.C., which is just, it's like over the hills from Vancouver. It's like, right. in the, yeah, I don't know what they call the area. It's, oh, it's called the Okanagan Valley. But um, uh, so we're showing up, and we're driving, it, we're late to get to this radio interview. So we're here, them promoing it. Like, and in 10 minutes, we're going to be talking to Mike Myers' brother. He's got a band that's in town. Yeah. They didn't even say my name or the name of the band. Yeah. And it was one of those moments uh. where... I couldn't even fake it to the guys. I literally, mm. you know, if there was a Grand Central Station in Kelowna, I would have sat down and wept. It was oh. like, it, I, yeah. I seriously was like, oh, my God, is this what I'm up against? Now, there's a little bit of poor me self-pity there. So I, I learned to shut the fuck up about that. But the truth is, I always remember that and think, okay, much like the Peggy Lee song, is that all there is to humiliate? <laughs> oh, it's such oh. Is that as bad as it's going to get? Yeah. And, and, you know, it can get worse. It can get worse. It can, you know, it, 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 oh, it, it could. Worse. Yeah. If, I, if I'm going to live, and I, I really make a point, people don't understand this, but I make a point of trying to not live in any kind of extension of Mike because, not because I'm not proud of him, I think he's done great things, but because if I live in the extension of him, then I'm also, like, become a spokesman for him. Yes. And, and, and if, okay, so, so you like one of his jokes. You say, great joke. And I, if I take credit for that, then you don't like one of his jokes. Am I taking credit for that too? It's right. not me. <laughs> it's not me doing any of it. Yes. And so the truth is, yeah. there are things, I love Austin Powers. I, 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 seriously, I, I cheered when he did all that music stuff in Austin Powers. Mm-hmm. I went to see the group World Party, and I love them. And they didn't even know, they don't know me. I'm not a famous person. And I was in the audience on my own ticket, so I wasn't on the guest list or anything like that. I was in the audience, and they played BBC from the Austin Powers movie. Mm-hmm. You know, this is Bring Me Tea. They, they, they had learned it from the record, from mm-hmm. the movie. Mm-hmm. And they were playing it for themselves as a cover, as a fun thing to do. 
And I, I, I managed to sneak my way backstage because I wasn't on the list or anything. And I just said, I got to meet them because they just did, they just did my brother's song. Totally. My face. I kind of look like Mike. And so I went back to Carl Wallinger, and he thought I was kind of like kidding him, like you're really his brother. <laughs> and I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I only, only would come back here because, because it's in my mind that, that you guys, unprovoked, knew that. So that's a kind of a neat thing. But I want. You know, obviously, who doesn't want to be known as what they are? And especially because I do all these things. Like, you introduced me as this renaissance guy, right? Yeah. Well, I, I've had to learn to own that I really want to just do stuff. I want to be a musician. I want to be a writer. I want to be a broadcaster. I want to be a storyteller. I want to be a communicator. It's all about communication. Yep, yep. It is. It is. And, 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 and that's why I love doing this show, because this is my... This is this is my platform. This is my soapbox. I, I get to communicate from my point of view. And, uh, uh, you know, it has nothing to do with my father. And yes, my father's genes and DNA runs through my blood. But uh, it, yeah. this is who I am. And if people come because they're curious about my dad, fine. But if they stay for me, perfect. You know, how did that go in Montreal? How did it go in Montreal? Because I was curious about it being such a it's such a, a, a Sundance film festival of comedy there that you know, being, you know, that's your unofficial family business for that trip. I mean, that's it's, it's a legacy tour, right? Well, it's not, uh, it's not, you're not talking about other things. You're talking about the family, this, right? Yeah, but it's, they're my stories. I mean, it's what I've been doing for over 10 years. It's my art form. So it's, it, you know, and it, 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 it is family stories, but, um, you know, but we'll talk about that another time because I've actually, okay, no, we've just, actually, we've run out of, comedy we've, festival. we've, we've run I out. I guess it's because it's a comedy festival. I was, I was just saying that there was a chance that, more than just you know when I see you oh doing yeah your, they, your, no they came the oh, some people came as curiosity absolutely yeah but then I made them like, I then I made them yeah but we can talk about it another time yeah because we've run out of time actually we have to end oh yeah yeah I know I know we could literally I told do, you it would be a two parter I know it will be a two parter so we'll have you back sometime soon uh, so I need to end today Paul thank you so much for being here I'll see you later on Twitter we'll play some fucking hashtag game who knows what it'll be it'll be okay. it'll be celebrity uh, celebrity siblings no I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> Hey, do they all know that my my Twitter handle is at pull my ears? It's with one L. It's at pull my ears. Yes, uh, spell with it out. L. Spell it out for them. P U L M Y E A R S. Okay, that's what it is. It's pull my ears. It's very. It's always confusing when I type it. I'm like, why is it pull my ears? Oh yeah, because it's he's silly and he's funny. So and, I want to. Th- and I pull your ears. And so, oh, you do. So I want to thank everyone. I want to thank Johnny Dam uh, for making New Distant Radio happening. I wanted to thank everyone on Facebook and Twitter, of course, and my friends and family. And I want to thank Paul, of course, for being here. And I'm going to play out a song. We're, we're going late here. Hopefully we'll get to play a few seconds of it. And if not, um, I'm going to put a link to Paul and where you can find his music. Um, thank you again, Paul. Thank you, everyone. Have a great weekend. Have a great Labor Day. And find me at WFADradio at gmail.com if you need to say something to me. Love you all. Bye. Track the Atlas, run too fast.